Hi, this is Brent White, and welcome back to my podcast. I preached the following message on Christmas Eve 2019 at the 7 o'clock service at Tekoa First United Methodist Church. The scripture comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. So, the new Star Wars movie opened uh, last week. My, my kids and I saw it this past Friday night, not, Friday night and not to spoil anything, uh, but I was very surprised to learn that Ray, you know, the heroine of the latest trilogy, was the, was the granddaughter of Jar Jar Binks. I really didn't anticipate. I'm kidding. My children can't trust me not to spoil movies, but uh, of course, of course, uh, Jar Jar Binks does not enter into it. Um, I'm not going to spoil the new Star Wars movie by, uh, by, by giving away the ending, but I hope you won't mind if I spoil the beginning of the movie because it begins the exact same way that the previous eight installments of the Star Wars series begin with a black screen and these words, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This is, in other words, the filmmaker's way of saying, once upon a time, (laughs) everything that you're about to see, no matter how impressive the CGI and the special effects, everything you're about to see is all make-believe. Despite the fact that, according to a recent census conducted in Great Britain, A depressingly large number of residents there identified themselves as uh, followers of the Jedi religion. Um, The fact is that the Star Wars universe is nothing more than a glorified fairy tale. And there's nothing wrong with fairy tales. But let's please notice how drastically different the beginning of the Christmas story is Luke tells us that the following events occurred in a specific time and place in history when Caesar Augustus was the emperor, but of course he was the emperor for a long time, from 27 BC to AD 14, so Luke is more specific. This was Caesar's first registration or census, you know, the one that he did when Quirinius was governor of Syria. In other words, Luke wants us to know that the events of the Christmas story take place not a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and not even once upon a time, but in this real world, which we ourselves, though separated in time by two millennia, can still recognize a world of statecraft and political intrigue, of wealth and poverty, of government bureaucracies and military superpowers. Do they know it's Christmas time? That old song once asked, and back in the 80s as now, the answer is no, they don't even know it's Christmas time now. But but they certainly didn't know it was Christmas time back then either. You see, a lot has changed in the last 2,000 years but people haven't changed so much. And that's the problem, isn't it? (laughs) People (laughs) and sin and evil. The problem is, is out there, to be sure, but it's also in here. Indeed, 
It is in order to solve the problem in here, first of all, that God sent his son Jesus into the world. What did the angel tell Joseph in that dream when he said that he can go ahead and take Mary as his wife? He said, she, Mary, will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The very name Jesus means Yahweh saves. The God of Israel saves. And that's what Jesus is going to do. But there's one tiny logistical problem that somebody's got to deal with first. Remember, remember, this is the real world. And in the real world, you have logistical problems sometimes. Things often go wrong. Things don't work out the way we plan. Things get messy in a hurry. And let's talk about how things got messy in a hurry. I think my microphone just died. Maybe this one will turn on. There we go. Uh, let's talk about how things got messy in a hurry in today's scripture. We're reminded in Matthew's gospel of an ancient prophecy. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The problem is that, that God has already told us in his word that when the Messiah is born, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And right now, the Messiah's mother and his future adoptive father, they're not in Bethlehem. They are actually about 90 miles north in Nazareth. And Mary was, well, over eight months pregnant. She could have that baby at any moment. This was no time to even think about traveling south down to Bethlehem. Not that Joseph and Mary probably even knew about the prophecy from Micah 5.2. So here's a problem. How do you get the Messiah's very pregnant mother to move 90 miles south in a very short period of time when she's over eight months pregnant? And it's as if God said, no problem. <laughs> Watch me do my work. Watch me put it in the heart of the most powerful man in the world to call for an empire-wide census and thereby move, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of residents of the Roman Empire like so many chess pieces so that one particular woman, Mary, eight months pregnant and hardly eager for a long journey, can get from point A to point B so she can give birth to the Messiah in Bethlehem so that the promise that God made 750 years earlier will come to pass because God always keeps his promises. So we say, this is a big problem, and God says, no problem. I don't know how else to describe it. It's as if God is showing off in today's scripture. To say the least, brothers and sisters, if God in his sovereign purposes can make all of that happen, can solve that giant problem in order to fulfill his promises, don't you think, and I hope I'm not 
going out on a limb here, but don't you think that he's powerful enough to manage your life and solve your problems and fulfill the promises that he's made for you? For example, the promise that in all things God is working for your good and the promise that he will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus and his promise that his grace is sufficient for you and his power is made perfect in weakness and the promise that you can boast all the more gladly of your weaknesses because that means that the power of Christ will rest upon you and the promise that when you're weak, you are strong because of the power of Christ working in you and, and the promise that, that, that our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they will produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever and the promise that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, the promise that we can be content and satisfied in all circumstances. If any scripture proves God's faithfulness to keep his promises, surely it is this scripture in Luke chapter 2. He, he, is gonna, he knows how to govern the universe. He knows how to govern our lives within it. So we can trust him. Now, let's turn our attention to verse 9 for a moment. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were, fear, they were filled with great fear. Well, of course, they were filled with great fear. For the fifth time in, in uh, all of my sermons uh, during Advent, an angel says to a human being, fear not, don't be afraid. And we wonder, well, why are, why, why are they afraid? Well, they have plenty of reasons to be afraid. Because when they realize that they are in the presence of angels and there is glory shining all around, that means that they are very close to the presence of God himself, dangerously close. I've talked before about how the Bible is replete with examples of God's people who become very afraid when they realize just how close to God they're getting. I'm thinking, for example, of Peter. Uh, in one of his first interactions with Jesus in Luke chapter 5, uh, Jesus calls Peter. Well, uh, Peter's been fishing all night long. He's a professional fisherman, and he didn't catch anything all night. And now it's daytime. Now it's morning. There's no chance he's going to catch anything now. But Jesus says, hey, go over there and throw your nets in the, that part of the sea, and, and you'll catch something. And I, I wouldn't blame Peter if he thought to himself, I mean, Jesus wasn't a fisherman, if, if Peter heard those words and thought, okay, boomer. But despite his reservations, he did so. And he ended up catching more fish than he'd ever caught before. So was he happy? He's a fisherman. This is the greatest. I mean, his, the, the, the nets were literally bursting at the seams. He should have been happy, but he wasn't happy because what he realized was that Jesus, although he was a flesh and blood human, was somehow at the same time God in the flesh. He was very close to God and it scared him witless because he said, he said, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Why? Because he is afraid to be so close to God. Um, 
Do you know, do you know what Peter needed in that very moment of fear? He needed, he needed Christmas. He needed Christmas because, you know, it's one thing to be terrified of God, to say, well, gosh, I'm a sinful man. I can't be in God's presence. God is too holy. I'll be destroyed. Um, but literally no one in the history of the universe has ever been afraid of a baby. <laughs> well, take, uh, take this baby, for instance. There's, there it is. <laughs> Do you recognize, this is, uh, this is a baby Yoda, and uh, this is from uh, this, uh, this very successful um, Disney Plus uh, show, The Mandalorian. Um, and, and, and the response to Baby Yoda has been so overwhelmingly positive, and it just reinforces the idea that all babies, even green alien babies, are just incredibly cute. Because think about how we act around babies. We, we men, you know, who want to be dignified all the time, we don't have to be dignified around babies. We don't have to be cool around babies. We can be as silly as we want to be. We can talk in silly voices, and we can make silly faces and uh, in funny sounds, and we don't even give it a second thought. Consider what the angels are inviting these shepherds to do. To not merely behold God from some safe distance. No, the angel invites the shepherds literally to hold God. To cradle God. To snuggle God. To kiss God. To put God's cheek against their own cheek. To smile and coo and laugh and make funny faces to God. To take God as a tiny, fragile, vulnerable baby boy into their arms and love him. There's no fear there. There's only joy. There's only peace. All is calm. All is bright. The shepherds were somehow invited to do that. How can they be so close to God now? What does all this mean? After all, who gets to be in a hospital room so soon after a baby is born? Only the closest, most intimate family members. So, so what does it say that these dirty, smelly, uncouth, uneducated, uncultured shepherds of all people were invited to be the first visitors after the birth of this child? How is that possible? What on earth has changed in the world? Only Everything, only everything that matters. Everything is going to change. And we get a clue about why in verse 14 of tonight's scripture. The angels are singing to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom God is pleased. And that's what uh, the translation that Rick read says. That's what 
all modern translations say. Uh, The NIV reads, peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's the same difference. But the angels are saying that there are now people in the world with whom God is especially pleased or people on whom God's favor rests. And these people, and only these people, have peace with God. And there's a rare Greek word underneath that word for peace being pleased or being favored by God. And um, it's the exact same, look at this, it's the exact same word that Luke later uses in chapter 3, verse 22, when Jesus is baptized. And he hears his father's voice and his father says to him, you are my beloved son with you, I am well pleased. And underneath well pleased is the exact same word that the angels are now applying to, well, all of us who place our faith in Jesus and receive this great gospel message. So tonight's scripture is saying somehow, as hard as it is to believe, there are now people who have peace with God, whom God loves exactly as much as he loves Jesus. He cares about exactly as much as he cares about Jesus. He looks upon exactly the same way as he looks upon his beloved son, Jesus. In other words, the good news that the angel announces to these shepherds is that they are now God's beloved sons. They are God's beloved children. They are a part of God's family. And brothers and sisters and friends, God invites all of us to become a part of his family in the same way. And if you believe in Jesus, you've already been invited into the family. And nothing is going to change that. Um, Everything has changed for you. And you now have peace with God and you're highly favored by God and you're beloved by God and you're a part of that family. And uh, I hope that, 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 that and, and by the way, that peace is made possible um, by what Jesus did through his life of faithful obedience to the Father, through his suffering and death on the cross and through his resurrection. You see, we talk a lot about the meaning of Christmas, right? You hear it on every Christmas TV special and Christmas movie. What's the meaning of Christmas? Well, here's the meaning of Christmas. But they almost always get it wrong in, in these Hollywood productions. Because you see, the meaning of Christmas is Good Friday and Easter. That's the means by which all of us become children of God. And we are so grateful. We're so grateful that Christmas celebrates that moment in time when God sent his beloved son Jesus into the world to live a life and die a death that reconciles us to him. Almighty God, we, we indeed celebrate that great message uh, this evening. Um, enable us to cherish you and your son Jesus in our hearts during this season and all the time. Um, Keep us safe. And uh, during this season, inspire us by your Holy Spirit to share this message of love with others. On the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took the bread, 
gave thanks to you, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, and said, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This cup is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Christ Jesus, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet table. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in the Tacoa, Georgia area on Sunday morning, I invite you to join us. We worship on most Sundays twice, once at 8.30, a contemporary service, and then again at 11, a traditional service. On the 29th of December, however, we will have one combined service at 10 o'clock in Cheek Hall. Hope to see you soon.